Hi, welcome to the New Rules Podcast. I am your host, Ruth Cooper-Dixon, and I'm a positive psychology practitioner. New Rules is about how leaders, entrepreneurs, and businesses must change, break, and rewrite the rules to innovate in our ever-changing and complex world. Each episode, I'll be joined by a guest who is a leader and respected expert in their own industry to talk about their experiences through the lens of a positive psychology theme. I am fascinated as to how these topics are interwoven in the fabric of their journey. And of course, I get them to dig deep and share with you the good, the bad and the ugly. Hello everyone, welcome back to New Rules. I'm joined today by two phenomenal women who I've had the pleasure of working with. Amanda Thompson, who is the CEO and founder of Thompson & Scott, voted one of Business Insider's coolest people in food and drink in 2019. Amanda, I just love that because you are effortlessly cool as a a fact. Uh, Thompson is leading the global shift to delicious alcohol-free drinking with a game-changing naughty, the first top quality organic vegan halal non-alcoholic low sugar sparkling wine, which is just fantastic. And I'm also joined by Laura Willoughby, MBE, who is the co-founder of Club Soda, the mindful drinking movement. And Club Soda's aim is to create a world where nobody feels out of place not drinking. Club Soda has individuals, drink brands and social spaces in its membership. And the inspiration came from Laura's experience of giving up drinking seven years ago. A campaigner at heart with a background in movement building and politics. And she realised that one of the big sticking points was a way to support people to take a self-guided journey to change their drinking. So welcome to you both. Hello. Hello. And so today, as part of New Rules, the idea is that we take a positive psychology theme and we look at applying it in the modern world of work. As we have known in 2020, so much has changed again with the global pandemic, with the anti-racist movements, with lots of different societal shifts and really about how businesses can stay at the forefront and still really embrace their true values and their authenticity so we're going to be exploring today what it means to be a wellness leader so Amanda I'm probably going to come to you first what what do you think is the impact on the business of senior leaders role modeling wellness behaviors do you think well I think it's it's huge I think and I guess from a startup aspect we were perhaps good and bad, much more used pre-pandemic to bringing more of our whole selves to work. Because of course, with a smaller organization working in a sort of fast-paced environment, it's quite different anyway from the corporate world. I came historically from the BBC, where where I would always keep a very strict delineation between my, my private life and my work self. And I think we all know that whether we like it or not, that's been all put in a liquidizer, mashed up, <laughs> and then we're all finding our feet, corporate, startup, whatever size of business, as to what the future will look like. But I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, as somebody who's been leading a smaller organization, we, we didn't have as much choice about that idea that, that private lives had to be merged to a certain extent. And with the industry that you're in specifically does do you think it it is different compared with I mean you're a small business as as you said you're a startup and you've you've been scaling with the industry itself do you think it's different in other industries I mean was it different compared 
you say with the with the media side of where you've been before well startups are notoriously macho cultures i suppose historically with that sort of competitive element the wine business and drinks business which i've come from obviously now i'm moving into alcohol free and that's a slightly different world that, that i'm sure obviously laura's the expert in and i'm now in but historically the alcohol based sort of side of the drinks business is notoriously male dominated pretty macho, pretty ambitious. And then you link that with a startup sort of mentality. And I suppose you don't get anything that necessarily reflects wellness in the way that one should understand the term. Mm. Laura, what's what do you think in terms of the, the alcohol-free industry? I know you work with brands anyway that do produce alcohol. Yeah, but it's been really interesting. Um, and Amanda's right, you know, most of the drinks industry is very male 55 sort of that sort of demographic and also in you know Amanda's amazing because in the startup world women are less likely to get investment Mm. and funding as well so there's already that barrier but most of the alcohol free brands are all um are all small innovators they've developed a drink mainly to satisfy their own needs from the founders and so actually it's taken the big companies by a bit of surprise that suddenly there are drinks like Naughty and Big Drop and all of these brands that are emerging into the market and doing really well but they've all come from you know all of that very light and agile startup mentality and they're willing to share and cooperate with each other in order to help grow this sector and it's a very nice place to be. With your background in politics before what was that like as a culture in terms of wellness leadership? Well, I don't meet anybody who doesn't say that their particular work sector is boozy. Everyone says it. Oh, advertising is boozy. Oh, politics, it's boozy. Maybe some local government isn't that boozy because the diversity of its workforce. But generally, everyone says, oh, it's all about work. And obviously, my my political career was fueled by really cheap white wine. So so I had no, no problems fitting in with that boozy culture. I am actually quite pleased that I didn't get elected to parliament because I th- actually think that would have done me a huge amount of damage with a subsidised bar having to hang around for votes it would have gone horribly wrong for me at that time so so I think the the thing that I would always say about that is that everybody thinks they come from a boozy work culture and at the end of the day it, that's not the excuse for drinking um, you can change that culture over time if you want them to think more about people coming to events that aren't drinking but ultimately if you want to change your drinking you need to get on and do that yourself and not and not lay back on on some cultural norms about oh needing to drink in order to network because actually there are tons of people successful in businesses who don't drink in order to network and you need to begin to take yourself away from that and work out what you can be in control of and what you can do if you want to cut down or or go alcohol free in order to improve your productivity with both of you having your own businesses has has kind of wellness leadership and and that is such a a broad term and it means lots of different things to different people when we talk about wellness leadership but have you specifically gone out of your way to create cultures that that you I guess are, are different when you know from the respective places you've worked before what was your intention around creating your your leadership culture 
I would love to say that we go into setting up a business and that you have a clear idea on the work culture you want to create and that becomes possible. It's not because you end up in a small business doing all of the jobs and working longer hours and getting very tired and stressed. And actually just before lockdown, I think I was probably uh, almost at burnout point and lockdown came at a very useful time for me. And I think what I've been thinking about a lot more is really interestingly overworking is very much like over drinking which is it makes you tired moody and irritable a bit of a twat um, <laughs> to work with and I could see the behaviors that I had as somebody who was drinking now as somebody who was overworking my brain didn't have any time to process anything and I had no creative space and it was just like this continuous pounding headache so one thing that lockdown allowed me to do is take a step back and not say okay I have to have work-life balance and separate my two lives because that's never going to happen I've never done that in any of my life everything I've done has been quite um, vocational and mission-led and important to me but to understand work-life satisfaction so how much do I have to do in each because I am very satisfied by my work and there'll be days when I work and weeks when I work really hard because there's a project but how do I make sure that I can then dial that back and then let real life come back in suitably rather than carrying on in this sort of 100 miles per hour and not taking the, the foot off the brake. Amanda I think just I mean that just links in what Laura's just said there to what you were saying at the start about you know industry especially when you think about the the wine industry in terms of you know full-on very you know as an entrepreneur working long hours I know you you've in in terms of your brand globally getting it out there I know you do a lot of you were were doing a lot of travel before lockdown and, and still have been doing bits now we can travel more so does that kind of Laura's words echo sort of with your own sentiments about how do you balance that wellness leadership piece as a successful businesswoman Yeah, I think that dichotomy between the romance of what you picture something being and the reality, there's quite a wide gulf, as as Laura sort of alluded to. I think, in all honesty, I wouldn't be where I was and and still climbing if I didn't work arguably, objectively outside what's probably too hard. But what I try to do is respect my team's boundaries and for example I would only bother my team with a whatsapp message on a weekend for example if it was super urgent or Mm. that's just one example but so I try to be really disciplined at respecting you know the team's free time does that always you know pass on through to the leader probably most startup leaders would say no it doesn't always and unlike Laura I worked harder than ever probably which is saying something um during lockdown because i i was pivoting my business from being 85 90 percent hospitality to mm. um a wholly direct to consumer and sort of retail model so i was uh, honestly at my mac an unhealthy amount of hours each day and by the end i, I wanted to you know never see zoom again um, <laughs> so so i think um the, the rhetoric, though, is important to, to keep, in, I think, in my head about my team. And, and we've got our B Corps certification. And, and that's something that 
I don't take lightly in that, mm. A, it's not an easy process by any stretch. And, and I think there's only, only you know, a, ha a handful of companies, only a few thousand um, worldwide. So once you've got that, you really have to sign up to this code of ethics that, that really is supposed to cover every aspect of the business, not least having in your articles as a business that you won't just be making decisions based on, on profit, but you'll also yeah. be making them based on ethics, which, of course, from an investor point of view is, is, is quite a, a big thing to sign up for so that weighs very heavily on my mind and, and and you know I always say to my team you know you you put the hours in that suit you as long as we're getting the deliverables the tricky thing for a startup leader is you know you've got really big numbers to hit yeah and so that's always the the, the, the sort of push pull in your head yeah and as you said you're not working as all three of us you know know this you're not working the standard nine to five and you don't actually log off and then when it's your own uh, when it's your own you, you there's always that connection isn't it I think it just even even when you have that bit of time off or you have a break it's still there's still always those ideas percolating there's still that just that general check-in I think it's it's just natural when yeah, it's your own exactly. business so and you'll get a text about a a hot new sales lead and of course you're never <laughs> going to not deal with that on no. a day afternoon you know so I, I think um that that's that's the challenge and I, I've got I've got two children one who was going off to, to university and and one who was getting ready to go off to school so I, I was juggling that and, and my husband had not been at all well no. so so unlike lots of people who, who managed to take stock I think during lockdown um, I just had to, to power on and keep going and I think We've touched on it before, Ruth, uh, you know, and, and there's a little bit of buzz online about it. But but I think entrepreneurialism isn't necessarily always a, a healthy place for a founder. And, and I think I'm always talking with you and various leaders yeah. about how, how to find how to find that balance. Because I think if we're all honest as leaders of startups, we're probably not mentally leading the most healthy lives in that aspect. No, and and Laura and I were just chatting before, and uh, I was saying I've you know I've been asked to do a great a great talk on Saturday, and I'd originally planned to have some downtime with some friends and and do something that was really you know that was quite important, but actually this is is actually a a pretty big deal, and I was just like. I was in this two minds and I've actually this time and I do weigh these things up but I think this time I was like no this work thing is actually more important and I don't know what that says about me just having admitted to that but I just felt that that was it but then there's things that you definitely say will say I think I've got better at saying that whole these are things I definitely can and can't do and there's things that I will turn down or say I can't do but I still haven't got there yet. It's but hard. I do feel it's a bit like being the frog in, in the hot water, isn't it? Where the, the water gets hotter and the frog doesn't notice. So I talk about the start of lockdown, suddenly everything stopped. And for at least two weeks, the, the world went very silent. While everyone was probably in their own homes panicking over how to pivot their business and all of that sort of stuff. And it gave me some essential breathing space. But slowly, slowly, the works got up. And then I suddenly realised I was back to where I was. And I was like, oh, what happened? <laughs> to that lovely thing that was happening at the beginning and why hasn't that happened again why am I getting up at six and working till 10 p.m I don't and know of course, so... the, the intensity of online I remember quite we all read probably quite early on we were surprised when we were so tired mentally and then of course we started to read the studies and and if you're a people person like like most entrepreneurs are really or a lot 
you mm. you you realize that how draining the online world actually is and the fact that we could then start scheduling horror we look back you know zoom meetings back to back to back and you're doing that really intense eye thing aren't you where you're looking down the camera and of course then you start to realize it's not like the real world where you're looking up to order your coffee you're looking around to see who's coming into the cafe so different and so intense and i think it did mm. it did affect all of our brains the the excitement of just coming here today to sit in a room with ruth and see a real person physically it's very exciting I know I must admit when I said to people you know it's you come in and I know Amanda you can't afford she can't, you know uh, can't be with us today but it was just like so many people jumped yeah. to the chance and I was just like I was actually quite surprised but I guess it's for a lot of people it's the excuse maybe to come back in if they feel comfortable Absolutely. to do so and, so. It, and it means I can go near a baker's that sells sourdough <laughs> which they don't have near where I live so it is, it's amazing how you what you can squeeze into a trip now yeah. <laughs> so, so obviously you know we've, we've talked about um, wellness leadership and, and kind of role modeling those values uh, what it means from an entrepreneurial perspective and the industries that we work within. What I do want to shift the conversation towards is is the mindful drinking piece because having spent uh, a large proportion of my career in the corporate world, been part of networking and then running my own business, I know the importance of, you know, like you said about the, the boozy cultures, but also just the, the fact that so many work celebrations and client meetings and events and everything else happens happens around the concept of alcohol and I know I've spoken to both of you uh, lots about this but I'll start with you Laura why do you think mindful drinking or first of all explain to people what mindful drinking actually is as a start and then why do you think this plays a part in the advocacy of the wellness at work conversation well, I think I describe well mindful drinking as a, a, a bigger movement, which is there are, are people around who have never drunk before, people who drink very little, people who don't drink on weeknights, people who are looking to moderate, people who are looking to go alcohol free. It's people who are pregnant or people who are driving tonight or looking to go to the gym tomorrow. We are all mostly mindful drinkers at some point during our week and we're not looking to drink alcohol, but we're still looking to be social. So as a whole, you know, what we try and encourage people to do in mindful drinking is to think about you know where alcohol fits into their life what type of life do they want to lead be realistic about their drinking patterns and begin to think about where alcohol fits in now for me as somebody who had got to the point where once I started drinking I was unable to stop it clearly got to a point where I had to take some radical action and so being alcohol free is the right thing for me but there are many different patterns of drinking and I we're very keen about empowering people to make the decisions that are right for them and and take themselves through a journey of working out where alcohol fits in for them so I use mindful drinking as a big umbrella term and in that are our moderators alcohol free people people who just drink very little and so on and for me that's quite important it's because changing your drinking always feels like that thing you should always have on your new year's resolution list and I did for many years you know I should give up drinking this year or I should cut down drinking this year and actually that's not you know that's actually a very negative way to start a behavior change process what you need to do is go What's the life I want to lead? What do I want to do with my life? And where does alcohol fit in? And, and, and for many people, that would be saying, well, actually, you know what? A break might do me some good. We are going to step out to have a mindful moment to reflect on our conversation so far. We are recording this at Fora, a tailored workspace that provides its residents with the freedom to choose where and how they work best understanding that happy, healthy people deliver their best work. 
Whilst we are here, we'll be sipping on Naughty, Thompson & Scott's alcohol-free, organic, vegan, sparkling Chardonnay. Creating a more inclusive and mindful experience to having fun and celebrating our workplace success. So that's sort of where I put mindful drinking. Now, what I find really interesting is in the workplace, we're still a very alcohol-first culture. So if there's a reception or a Christmas party at work, they will provide lots of alcohol and then a jug of cheap, warm, concentrated 30p orange juice in the corner, which people who aren't drinking have to help themselves to. And actually, if you're not partaking in the expensive alcohol that people have brought, they feel like you're snubbing their hospitality. What do you mean you're not drinking this amazing champagne I've got from Chateau somewhere or other? And, and you're made to feel like you are you're snubbing people when actually if someone's invited you to a party it's because they want you to be there and why shouldn't everybody feel welcome at an event and I've been to you know health and wellness events where there's a drink reception afterwards and the only thing after speaking about health all day they've got to drink is alcohol regardless of whether anyone in the room is driving or don't drink for religious reasons, or maybe pregnant, or any of those things. And so actually, if you boil it down, it's a diversity issue. Why do we make the assumption that everyone has to drink if the word reception is put in front of any type of networking meeting? We need to throw that back up in the air and say, absolutely, we need to cater for a diverse audience at every event that we do. And businesses need to see that in terms of their Friday desk drinks, all the way through to parties and even award ceremonies that happen. Mm. Okay, thank you. Um, Amanda, so you've uh, launched Naughty, which is your alcohol-free wine. So do you want to perhaps just explain a little bit about how, because I was a, obviously met you when you were launching Skinny Prosecco, Skinny Champagne. That's how we met at an event a couple of years ago now. And I was just a big convert then <laughs> of, of those products. And then when I stopped drinking, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be able to drink it anymore. And then magically you read my mind and produced Naughty, which was the best thing ever, just for me. <laughs> I let myself believe that, Amanda. Um, so what, what for you was your shift in terms of, uh, of, of, producing that product and and why well it was very interesting yeah hearing laura hit all of our touch points actually for naughty and that's why thankfully laura you'll be pleased to know that now we're working with companies like ey so finance companies law firms i think slowly everybody is realizing you know i think more quickly now with everything we've been through with lockdown i think it has accelerated that recognition of those sort of alcohol-free choices that, that are now more prevalent And I think all of those reasons are tick boxes for us. But for me, really, essentially, it was about bringing the party without the alcohol. And that Mm. that was the driver. And my God, it was hard. And I recognize now, realizing I'm obsessed with taste and I'm obsessed with palate. And I was never about to launch anything because it was alcohol free. Now that, if that makes sense, what I mean by that is, it would have been so easy for me across the past year or two. I knew I knew the opportunity was there. I knew the need was there. I became slightly obsessed with it in a Willy Wonka sort of like way. <laughs> but my goodness, it was hard to get the perfect taste. Really, really hard. And I think the barriers to entry in innovating in the wine sector were quite different, I think, from the alcohol-free beer, of which there are many that, that my beer drinking friends enjoy. There are some brilliant old spirits the, the in, innovation in the alcohol-free wine sector w- was so depressing and mm. I tried everything out there and they were all, I'm sorry to say, pretty much without fail, 
not much better than mouthwash with one or two exceptions, <laughs> but they were very sweet. And, and this is because I'm a wine drinker and I historically was a champagne snob that, that Laura was alluding to. You know, I'd be the one wanting that lovely chateau, whatever, you know. So I think that was the driver for me. And, uh, and at the risk of just momentarily sounding arrogant, I think the reason Naughty tastes so good and, and is becoming such a success is because it's all about the taste, mm. you know, not just the kind of the, the marketing angle. And, and I think, you know, I would have got something to market sooner because I, as a sort of ex-journalist, I was obsessed with Zeitgeist and all of those pillars that Laura was mentioning, you know, that huge gaping opportunity. Because, of course, when you get to celebratory moments, I think a lot of people had thought that the alcohol-free thing was tick. They're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we've got Coca-Cola. We've, got, we've even got alcohol-free beer. And of course, if you look at the way drinking goes statistically, and of course, we never want to, you know, be crass with gender lines. But if we look back and look at numbers, it is still women historically who are often choosing sparkling wine, uh, you know, in the celebratory moment, if you just look at the numbers. And I think that's part of the reason that nobody had innovated in the wine sector, really anything exciting, because it's, it's full of men. Yeah. You see, so many people were just assuming that that had been dealt with. And we all could picture that depressing sort of picture that, that Laura sort of <laughs> uh, painted in our minds. We, you know, everybody's been to events when they're not drinking for whatever damn reason. And it is so depressing. And why do you leave early? Partly because you don't feel you're invited and you just don't mm. feel comfortable. And sometimes I, I think you know, it really plays into people's psyches, whether they're, they're non-drinkers or just choosing not to drink that, that, that time. And so for me, that opportunity was to have an incredible alcohol-free that people actually wanted to drink, irrespective of the fact that it was alcohol-free or because it was, or for any number of reasons. So the idea for Naughty was to bring the party, to make you feel special, for it to taste delicious, you know, pop that cork, you know, and have that party moment, and it not have alcohol. And my God, it was hard, but I'm blooming delighted that we seem to have cracked the code. Your hard work has paid off. It is a really good product. And at the minute, there's nobody snapping at your no. heels. And and that's because of their their lack of, of being able to see what's going to happen in the future. And actually, I was talking to somebody who's looking at data at the moment and the health and wellness trend that was already on an upward trajectory has just been super powered by COVID. And so actually, those people who've got products in the market right now have been able to innovate like you um, are bringing the products that people want. It's going to be a really interesting time. And I, I think as well, to add to that, the piece about the innovation and, and sort of looking at the product itself, and as, as Laura was just saying there, that last night I was on a panel discussion about authenticity and wellness. And I think because your intention with your product, as you said, doesn't hasn't come from, oh, the market's saying this, I'll put something out there. And as you said, you could have put something out there a year ago, 18 months, but actually it's been much more it's been much more deeper than that around the intention around I want to make sure you know I'm a wine drinker so I want to make sure that this tastes damn good and also it's it is seen as that celebration and and even just right down to how the bottle looks how it is you know it's a love it, it is that sort of bottle that you'll bring out and be like this is a really special moment let's let's have it as a you know a, a, a we're celebrating a birthday or it's a you know start of a holiday or it's a work event and we've made a success or whatever it is it's just I think it's just so different and I think as Laura said there's just doesn't seem to be anybody else 
that it's even close to what you've done at the moment, Amanda. So, well, I think we're one of those strange businesses that, you know, going back to that point that I did work an unhealthy amount during lockdown, that you know, <laughs> shouldn't be recommended. But of course, that has given us, uh, you know, as you sort of alluded, another shift forward because we've already got some secret, naughty next stage SKUs that will come out in 2021. We launch with what I think is the best supermarket later this year. And so I'd like to think that, that, that we've got some really lovely opportunities out there for the consumer. And we had a wonderful moment just pre-lockdown, one of those last, one of those last parties when we were allowed to, to, to party um, at Tramp Nightclub. It was a bunch of entrepreneurs. I'm not sure if you were there, Ruth or Laura, but I saw the placebo effect at play when I got up to speak and I had explained about the, the alcohol-free cocktails, the naughty cocktails. And there was this palpable gasp. And the wonderful moment for me was this idea of breaking down barriers that often Brits have, you know, after they've had the first or second drink at a party, you know, the, the noise mm. rises, we all start to be more sociable and, and without realising, and of course, one would never do this the other way round, just to be clear, it was an accidental pour of the, of the sommeliers pouring naughty cocktails initially instead of the champagne ones. So people had been drinking what they thought was champagne cocktails. They were actually naughty cocktails and the placebo effect had taken hold and, and everybody was really relaxed, really social, noise levels were rising and then the gasp when I told them it was alcohol free you know and I just thought that for me is naughty you know bring the party without the alcohol perfect well we'll look forward to oh you've heard it here first anyway so there's going to be some exciting new developments with naughty and Thompson and Scott in 2021 and of course through all our new rules episodes the guests are having our break with our mindful naughty moment which is fantastic to be able to do that as well so thank you Amanda for that guests just really want to wrap up with probably from both of you just some what what would you say are your top tips for let's let's take it from a first of all from an entrepreneur's perspective in developing wellness leadership either whether whether that's a tip for them for that individual themselves or whether it's a tip for more the the business side so let's start with you, Laura. What would you say? I, I feel like uh, uh, you know <laughs> that imposter syndrome. I don't see myself as a wellness leader. That's hilarious. But what I, <laughs> I guess what I would say it won't surprise you to know is if alcohol can make your days, it may feel like a stress relief at the end of a long day if you're working as an entrepreneur. But actually, over time, that's not what it does. It doesn't relieve your stress. It doesn't relieve your anxiety. It actually can make that worse. So maybe if you're trying to get more done, be more productive want to have more of a clear head have a little think about your drinking habits and where it fits in not telling you all to give up by any stretch of the imagination but I have been touched by funnily enough this year seems to me like the year of young men talking about mindful drinking it was young young women a couple of years ago and and then my age group in the over 40s before that but all of the young men who are talking to us right now about sharing their story talk about how they've given up drinking to set up a business now guys we don't want to get all the men you know leading the march on setting up the businesses if they think (laughs) that clearing clearing their head through changing their drinking habits is giving them the edge then then we need to beat them at that so maybe have a little think through about what it might do for your productivity let alone your health to be able to change your drinking habits and and please don't fall into the trap of thinking that the best way for you to relieve stress anxiety and and tension and to unwind is alcohol because over time that that will make things worse okay thank you very much amanda 
well, I'm all about hacks. And so I guess if I'm going to put a, a really early run or circuits class or yoga class into my diary, then that will automatically, if I happen to be with friends the night before, uh, you know, and there are drinks on the table, that will then lead me to think, right, I'll have one glass of something delicious and then I'll switch to naughty. Of course, there's nothing better, like you've said, than bringing a bottle of naughty to a social occasion. I know now, obviously, we can't meet any more than six, but if we're bringing a bottle along and then, of course, you know, we're getting people excited about that. So, so I find the hacks are, you know, fix something in your diary that's going to remind you that you're, that you're grabbing your trainers, going off to meet a friend for a run. Nothing better than that, than to, than to really stop you deciding that you'll have more than a glass the night before. I think those sorts of diary appointments can be really useful mm. um, to, to, to shift a habit. And, and I also think, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. And I think... You know, we're very good, aren't we, talking about anxiety, about almost pressuring ourselves, uh, you know, about how we mm. should do this, we should do that, we should do the other. And I think for a lot of people, it's a bit like how, you know, how veganism has developed. You know, I think we've touched on this idea that, that, that all of the communities can come together. And I know some people who, who drink naughty have, have sort of felt like they, they don't want to admit when they're having, you know, a, a day off or whatever. I just think we should all give ourselves a bit of a break and just find those small shifts. Because, of course, it's the small hacks and shifts that can create the bigger habits. I think if we, you know, if we try and do it all in one day, I'm never going to drink again. You know, I mean, that works for some people, doesn't it? Like smoking. But that's a really large amount of willpower mm. whereas if we can create just small hacks and give ourselves a bit of a break that is how patterns and how good habits can be formed yeah absolutely and and swapping out an alcoholic drink for an alcohol-free drink is one way to keep the sort of tradition or the that moment in time when you're breaking work and stopping for the evening just swapping in an alcohol-free beer or an alcohol-free sparkling wine is one way you can do that while you still get that sense of occasion but you, you're not having alcohol I don't and I'd also say another thing which you know I keep repeating to myself and then ignoring when it's convenient but while my business is really important and I really wanted to, to survive and thrive, it is still not as important as my health. And so at the minute I've got into a habit of saying, OK, this is what I'm doing this week. But have I left enough time for the thing that is more important at work, which is, you know, the things that make me healthy, which is making some good food and and keeping to my diet and doing enough exercise and so you it will never you know, you can always find that hour to do even a walk around the park. It is possible. You are running your own business. You can make that time, even if you do it while you're listening to a, a podcast that's really interesting for your business. Like new rules. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, but you, but you can, you can do it, and you can prioritize your health. So, so go away and look at how you can do that. Mm. I like both of both of what you've said there, and Amanda, that piece about putting something in the diary. Laura and I are open water swimming tonight at six thirty in Albert Docks. <laughs> I think the tie we're having afterwards may be a partly a motivation. But actually, what's really exciting about that is because we haven't seen each other for so long, we're going to get to sit and talk, which you actually can't do when you're swimming. No, so, so that will be well. We've had we've had a little catch up already now today. There'll be an extra catch up later. So finally, um, the last thing as well then is so we've we spoke just then about yourself um, as an entrepreneur or if, uh, in terms of you running a business what about would you say for 
organizations out there uh laura i know you work with organizations amanda you've said that you've started to speak to various corporates about introducing naughty for example what would you say to corporates out there who want to start thinking about mindful drinking in their workplace to create more sort of inclusive culture so laura do you want to go so there's a couple of things. Think about all of your touch points with alcohol as a company. Do you, I mean, the law sector is a really interesting one because they, they continue to, to believe that the only way to, to talk to clients is to do that over a boozy lunch. And actually that, that wipes out quite a lot of your staff's time in an afternoon if they've been drinking at lunchtime. So think about all of your touch points as a company and think about how you can offer alternatives and other options during that time. And also as a company, give people permission to not drink. And so you're not telling them not to, you're not becoming their dad, but what you're saying is, excellent, we're going to run events and not only are we going to put on alternative drinks, but also we're going to make it clear that as a company, you're not, you don't have to drink when you're out doing events. We're welcome, you're welcome welcome to find other ways to entertain clients and you're certainly welcome to make sure you can have alcohol-free drinks and stuff and and to be honest your clients will be happy as well because many of them moan about the fact that they end up on boozy lunches when they're being corporately entertained so think about all those touch points and look at ways that you can communicate that give people permission not to drink and then when you do make alcohol-free drinks available make it clear in every invite don't just say please join us after work for wine because that basically sends a signal that there's only wine there's nothing else so if you're not wanting wine or you're driving later in your commute then bugger off because you're not welcome so make sure you put you know drinks and and say there'll be a range of drinks for everybody whether you're drinking or not in there because this is a new territory and people need some navigating around it I was very touched when I went to an event where they put on alcohol-free wine for me and they put it on a tray that said alcohol-free and there was the alcohol-free sparkling wine and then there was some sodas and everyone picked up the soda because they thought the thing that was still on the tray that looked like wine was still alcoholic and the only alcohol free was the soda so you still need to help navigate people if things look a bit like alcohol (laughs) so so you can do that as a company and make sure that you get in some great drinks so that everybody feels welcome and don't think that you can treat people through a really awful carton of orange juice and and add it to your contractors your catering contractors contract when they're up for renewal say that the the healthy pledge that they've signed uh, applies to liquids as well as solids excellent some great suggestions there amanda what else would you add to that for for organizations i think that young people actually we've seen are driving this in the workplace and i think this idea that everybody can have a seat at the table and the reason that that naughty fits so beautifully is of course you know if you don't want to be shouting loudly about the fact that you're not drinking and truthfully in british culture some people don't because some people feel mm. like that's the thing they've got to discuss and what i really wanted naughty to do was to offer the, you know you with a situation where you could be drinking champagne i could be drinking naughty we're at the table together in the business world and it doesn't have to be the thing that's defining you because i think that you know it is very awkward still and it shouldn't be but it mm. is that brits mm. will still our culture particularly you know unlike you know perhaps america's not so bad i don't think but you know oh you're not drinking ruth why aren't you drinking and that becomes the yeah. conversation now that you know that should not be the conversation and this idea that i think young 
people in the workplace have been driving this, where they want a seat at the table, they want to feel comfortable with the older members of staff. And I've seen, I've had these discussions with law firms, with finance firms, and, you know, naughty can beautifully emoliate that. And, and you can stay up and nobody needs to know if you are or aren't drinking and yet everybody keeps their head together. Mm. And I think for me, that idea that, what we're drinking, why should that be the most interesting thing about us? There's so many interesting things to discuss. And that's why I think Naughty can take that right forward. You know, whether you're not drinking because you, you've had an alcohol problem, whether you're not drinking because you, 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 know, you follow a halal diet, any number of reasons, secretly pregnant, why should that be the thing you have to discuss? You can discuss mm. business, it's pure and simple. And there's a real fundamental bit at the bottom of it, which I've heard lots of stories about, which is that, you know, particularly older members, senior members of staff and uh, really pushing younger members of staff to drink at events. That's that's bullying, people. That's bullying. And so uh, it brings us all the way back to that thing around consent, which is, you know, if your staff don't want to drink, it's not your business on why, but it's also not your business to push them to do that either. And the idea that you're giving the whole business permission to do something different is a really important leadership point and again you're not telling people not to drink you're giving them permission to ask for something alcohol to have something alcohol free and also i think for us naughty is fun regardless and that's what we we always leave with the reason you should have naughty on your list is it tastes bloody good and happens to not be alcoholic i mean it's kind of a no-brainer <laughs> Well, thank you both. I mean, they were really great ideas. So there's so much for leaders, uh, managers, entrepreneurs who are listening to this episode to be able to go away, implement not only for their own businesses, clients, but also for themselves as well. I just want to thank both of you for your time today talking to me about wellness leadership. And you're both phenomenal inspirations to me, having known you now for a couple of years and just worked with you, both of you. It's a real pleasure to have you both so thank you so much for your insights right back at Thanks, you Ruth. great to see you both sadly we have no more time to chat bringing us to the close of this week's episode of new rules i hope you have enjoyed listening to it as much as i've enjoyed chatting to our wonderful guest if you did then please ensure you subscribe rate and review from wherever you get to your podcast and you won't miss out on the next episode all the information from today's show, including our guest details, can be found in the podcast notes. A huge thank you to the lovely people at Fora, who without their generosity, the magic of this podcast would not have happened. Finally, you can find me, your host, Ruth.CooperDixon on Instagram and Ruthie Coops on Twitter. Please do come by and connect if you're keen to know more about positive psychology and my wellbeing work at Shamps and Shamps for Change.